Hello there, dear listeners. By this point, you've heard us use this voice plenty of times, but you're probably wondering to yourself there, what's the origin of this here made-up accent, see? Well, we'll tell you. Yep, right here on this episode. The history of transatlantic accents this week on This Was a Thing. Charleston and Gloria Swanson Fatty Arbuckle's time spent in court The suffragists, the flapper girls and dance marathons And sitting on a flagpole just for sport This was a thing That was a thing The cotton club where Ellington would swing Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. It was so NPR-ish of you. I love it. Thank you. On today's episode, we are looking at transatlantic accents. Transatlantic accents, boys. Oh, boy. Now, this was a thing because for the first 30 years of talking pictures in America, it defined the voices of the stars. It was clipped, kind of Boston, kind of British, this hybrid, uh, nasal and fast. Um, it's probably best heard parodied anytime you imagine an old 1930s or 40s movie. But I think this clip from SNL making fun of it is, is pretty brilliant. This is uh, Jason Sudeikis and Kristen Wiig giving you a sample of what transatlantic really sounds like. Oh, well, 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 well. Look what the cat dragged in. Scratch that, Jillian. No cat would drag you. They'd have to put your mouth on you. Oh, why I oughta? Well, you oughta, but you aren't. You never will. Uh, what are you doing here, Jillian? You walked out of that door four months ago. It's the best four months of my life. Dear Johnny, I'm surprised you lasted four months without me because you couldn't last four minutes with me. Why well, I, I shoulda. You shoulda, but you didn't. Johnny, it's a perfect... Perfect encapsulation of what the transatlantic accent was. Now, in Hollywood, it was simply called the mid-Atlantic oh. or transatlantic accent because if you were, because it's a hybrid between Boston and England. That makes sense. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, this place that does not exist. In Canada, that type of speaking was known as Canadian dainty, eh? Ooh, that poutine sure smells nice, eh? That's it. Now, the first thing to remember is that this accent we heard in folks like Catherine Hepburn, William F. Buckley, and Betty Davis, and The Simpsons' Mr. Burns never actually existed in real life. What? I know. It's not the dialect ascribed to any specific geographic region. So if you were to take a time machine and go back to the 1920s and 30s, New Yorkers would still talk like New Yorkers. And Southerners would still be drawling. So those sorts of dialects are learned by osmosis. Mid-Atlantic is taught. You actually have to learn how to speak the way they did in the movies. Or was taught, we should say. What a fun class. It's origins on how this voice came to be are somewhat murky. But here is what we were able to figure out on the transatlantic origin story. So there was a 19th century philologist, and his name was Henry Sweet. Bless you. <laughs> what do you do, Henry? Philologist. <laughs> I've got a cold there, Henry. Oh, let me get my handkerchief. <laughs> and Henry Sweet actually is the inspiration for... Little Sweetie. No, oh. Henry Higgins oh. in Pygmalion and My Fair Lady. Oh, I thought it was for a little sweetie. He wrote books on phonetics, and his big thing was actually codifying how different regions spoke, like what Henry Higgins was doing sure. in My Fair Lady. The big thing that Henry was able to codify was what we called 
received pronunciation. Received pronunciation. That simply means queen's speech. And not just my kind of queen, all kinds of queens. So this is like the, the upper class, upper crust sort of dialect that you would hear. Now, Mr. Sweet, Professor Sweet, has a student. This is a student, and his name is William Tilly. Is this uh, on the streets where you live? No, that's Freddie Ainsford Hill. So William Tilly, at the end of the 19th century, Tilly thought that there might be something to be gained by having anyone who spoke English, regardless if you were like in England, America, or Australia, and in any region whatsoever in any of those areas, but as long as you're all speaking English, to speak it the exact same way. So all the pronunciations would be the same. And he wants to create what is called world English. Ooh. World domination. This is a Marvel character <laughs> or Marvel villain who you would never see. What is he? He's bent on world domination? And pronouncing his T's properly. <laughs> what does he want? He wants everyone to say T correctly. <laughs> and like I said, it's important to remember, once again, the people basically spoke the way that they spoke today back then. So sure. you have different dialects, you have different sounds, you have different regions, right? For an example, like the word farmer. Farmer. Right? Mm-hmm. We say farmer. Down south might go farmer. Boston, farmer. Farmer. Right? Yeah, sure. In England, farmer. The farmer, yes. Yeah, so and in Australian, crikey. Hey. <laughs> That's oh, it. Oh, don't get glass that farmer over there. He's a bogan. <laughs> a real bogan. And what Sweet is saying is, is no matter where you go, you should all pronounce it the same exact way. And he wanted the Boston sound. So everyone would go, farmer. Farmer. We'll get to this a little bit more. Now, One of the things that was also happening at this time was there was a lot of public speaking going around. And public speaking at that time, you were taught as a public speaker to have like a song-like intonation when you spoke. Lengthy and tremulously uttered vowels. So this is who you learned to speak from. (laughs) Yes. A booming resonance. And there's no detail to like the word's phonetic quality. It's all about the sound and right. The best like example of this oratory speech, even though he comes after, is Martin Luther King Jr. He's probably the best example of this. Here's a clip of his "I Have a Dream" speech, and listen to what we were just talking about: the intonation, the lengthy and tremulously uttered vowels, and his booming resonance. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. So there you go. That's an example of how most people were publicly speaking. So William Tilly is advocating for marrying the Northeastern American dialect with the British received pronunciation known as the Queen's English. And he goes off to Columbia, not the country, but Columbia University in New York to teach this. And as he's teaching this to people, all of these like hoity-toity educated people all across the United States that are going to Columbia and hearing about what he's doing go, this is such a really nice way of speaking, but it's also going to advertise to people that I am educated, that I am proper, that I am rich. While people go, America doesn't have a class system the way it has in the in the UK, that's bullshit. There's totally a class system Listen in the United States. Listen to my voice. Exactly. And by, by adhering to the tenets that I'm going to give you, it's going to signal to people, I am rich, and I am rich enough to afford an education, therefore, I am smart. Does that make sense? Yes. This is like on Facebook when people put like what college they went to. Oh, exactly. Absolutely correct. 
absolutely like, correct in the forefront over anything else that they have on their f- Facebook it's, page. It's like all you see are like is like a Nittany Lion everywhere. Penn State, we are. That's me. Long Beach State. All right, are you ready to learn? Hell yeah! The same way that these kids learned many years ago. Let me get my little chalkboard out. Great. These. This is what you need in order to speak the way William Tilly would like you to speak. Tilly was advocating for marrying the North Eastern American dialects, that's like the Boston sound, with British received pronunciation, which was known as the Queen's English. That's the fancy way British people talk. And for him, there were some basic tenets that had to be acknowledged. The first one is a lack of rotacity. Rotacity means that you hit the R's at the end of your sentence. He's saying, don't hit the R's at the end of your sentence. So I want you to say this word for me the way you normally would, okay? F-A-R-M-E-R. Farmer. Great. Now, he wants you to say it without hitting that R at the end. Say it. Farmer. That's it. That's it. So that's number one. You don't put your R's at the end of it. Sure. The person that probably did this the most iconically was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Not fear. Fear. And I fear fear. And I fear fear. I fear fear itself, I promise you. So that's number that's number one. Number two is soft vowels. Which I know that you have after you take your Metamucil. But wait till you see my hard consonants. Whoa, kids, go on to OnlyFans. <laughs> I want you to say this word for me okay. the way you normally would. D-A-N-C-E. Dance. Dance, right? He wants a soft vowel. So instead of dance, it's... Dance. That's it. That's it. Dance. Very good. Best example of this is probably Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart from the Philadelphia story. Just listen to how she says some of these words. But you just don't seem to match up. Then the force with me. Well, maybe so, but all the same, now you can't do it. No. No. Come around about noon tomorrow. I mean today. Snob. Say, what do you mean, snob? You're the worst kind there is, an intellectual snob. You may Okay, then clipped short T's is the next one. Clipped short T's. So, for example, I'd like you to say the word that I'm going to spell for you the way you normally say it, all right? W-A-T-E-R. Water. Water. Now, he says you have to hit that T and keep it nice and short. So say it again, please. Water. No, no, no. Hit that T. Water. Ooh, I'd like some Poland Springs drinking water. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Okay. Now, there's another thing to all of this that sort of is adopted over in America, and we call it Locust Valley Lockjaw, or Largemont Lockjaw, <laughs> or, or Boarding School Lockjaw. Largemont is in New York, and it's a type of speaking with all of those elements, but you also keep your jaw. Thurston Howell. Thurston Howell the third. If you're an anti-Mame fan, Gloria Upson, Winchester on MASH. And of course, if you're an old school Republican, 
William F. Buckley. Ah. And so here's a clip of William F. Buckley giving us a little sense of the enlargement jaw. I've often been quoted as saying I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 people in the Boston Telephone Directory than by the 2,000 people on the faculty of Harvard University. So that's a little sense of William F. Buckley. He was beloved. Everyone loved him. The last time we really heard somebody that naturally had this affected way of speaking in the public ear, Julia Child. Oh, yeah. She had it. Yep. But even more prominent than Julia Child was Jackie Kennedy, Jackie O. So once again, this is Jackie Kennedy speaking in this transatlantic accent that she has learned to speak with. The thing is, Thomas Jefferson did the most wonderful thing of putting in beautiful furniture. And the sad thing was the War of 1812 when everything was burned. Then they had to start piecemeal since then. And every president who came could sell what he didn't like, what was there. And they used to have auctions in Lafayette Square. And then every uh, president could change the decor if he wanted. Once uh, It really is. She has like a, a very subtle Catherine Hepburn. Yes, like, like it's, yes. I mean, it is. You can hear it all. If I were to close my eyes. I yes, you're right. It's hard to tell, like, who's who's who. Yeah. Now, one of the other qualities that also arises in addition to the transatlantic is the pitch or placement of the voice. And when we hear about from like old-timey reporters and old-timey things, you notice that it's very nasal. And that's actually because, once again, it's being taught. People just didn't naturally have nasal placement. It's being taught because the early days of radio were very primitive when it came to the technology used to record sound. And back then, there was very little bass technology. And the bass is what covers like the lower textures of your voice. Sure. The reason I can be so deep right now is because technology has improved. And God granted you with... And God granted me a gift. So I'm sorry, James Earl Jones or Johnny Cash, you probably would not have been so successful in the 1930s. So that nasal clipped pronunciation, that up here is ideal for news radio and movies because the higher your voice, the easier it was to go across the sound wavelengths. Okay. Who know? Wow. And here is a, a kind of a marriage of the two. Here's an old-timey newscaster interviewing Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn and Robert Helpman, world-famous stage and screen personalities, arrive in Sydney for an Australian tour of three Shakespearean plays for the Old Vic Company. Very exciting to me, too, to be here. So we understand how the transatlantic accent was created to unify English speakers from around the world as well as promote the ideas of, hey, I'm rich, I'm smart. Get the hell out of here. (laughs) So how does this form of communication somehow get to Hollywood where movies are telling stories not just of rich people, but of poor people and people from all over the United States? Let's talk about that. There was a woman. Her name was Edith Warman Skinner, Hmm. and she was a protege of Tilly. And she was one of the most sought-after speech teachers or elocutionists for the stage and screen. And uh, after studying phonetics at Columbia, she began to assist a woman named Margaret Pendergrast McLean. Now, Margaret was like the leading stage speech consultant. And she gained a national reputation for becoming the go-to instructor for all things speech and diction. And then eventually, Edith (laughs) will pick that up as well. You see, at the beginning of the 20th century, with many melodramas and plays being imported from Europe and many American plays dealing with aristocratic characters, Mid-Atlantic was the way to go for stage speech because it sounded posh. Skinner, she called it good American speech (laughs) or 
Eastern Standard. And it was the best way of speaking for the classical and elevated texts, which was most of the theater at this time. So remember, at this time, we see a lot of Shakespeare. We see a lot of melodramas. We see a lot of Greeks. We saw a lot of Ibsen, Shaw, right? Skinner once said, your voice expresses you. You don't want to lose that individual voice God gave you. What I try to do is to get rid of the most obvious regionalisms, <laughs> the accent that says, you're from here and I'm from there, the kind of speech that tells you what street you grew up on. So she's saying, <laughs> I don't want you to lose your individuality, but please lose your individuality. I know, I was going to say, the, I love that she starts it off by like, everyone needs to have their own voice, but we all need to talk like this, this. okay? Now, she was dogmatic in her teachings over at Juilliard, which was the premier training ground for actors. Still is. Still is. And what she was really creating was the voice of the actor. When we think of the acting at that time, she's really creating the voice that these people are going to be ha- are going to be sticking in our ears for such a long time. And they basically call this American stage speech. So if someone says to you, I need you to talk an American stage speech, you have to go with Edith's way of talking, which is just simply the things we've just discussed, the lack of roticity, the soft vowels, the short clip T's, keeping it nasal. When talkies came to be, ah, that's when my career died, with 1927's The Jazz Singer, Hollywood employed uh, tons of stage actors from New York City, and they were all trained in the way of speaking in American stage speech. So when they got in front of the cameras, they're like, well, just talk the way we've always been talking. I can't stand stand him. him. This is a clip from the jazz singer, the first talking picture. Listened for uh, a little bit of the nasal quality and listened for the same sort of pronunciation things that we've been talking about. I'm going to buy you a nice black silk dress, Mama. Uh, you see, Mrs. Friedman, the butcher's wife, she'll be jealous of you. Oh, yes, she will. You see if she is. And I'm going to get you a nice pink dress that'll go with your brown eyes. What What do you mean, no? Who Who is telling you? What do you mean, no? Yes, you'll wear pink or else. Or else you'll wear pink. <laughs> I wonder if they're what people's reaction were when they first heard like sound coming out of a movie like if people weren't expecting to go into the theater it's possessed yeah exactly like oh my god like i don't know there had to have been some people that like had like freak outs and like and what is that voice he's using and the scariness of that voice caused everyone to pull their money out of the stock market and it crashed (laughs) (laughs) hey friends hope you're enjoying the show If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, Look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay, head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, Click go to show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to patreon.com and send us some money. And in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T. 
R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Now, not everyone in Hollywood took to the talkies or American stage speech. Clara Bow, who was, the, the, I mean, the star of silent pictures at the time, she said, I hate talkies. They're stiff and limiting. You lose a lot of your cuteness because there's no chance for action, and action is the most important thing to me. So Hollywood studios, especially in the 30s and 40s, were desperate for products, which means they needed actors. Sure. So if you looked like you would pop on camera, regardless of your talent, the studio would sign you to an exclusive contract, and then they would put you through a very rigorous schooling process, which also included learning the mid-Atlantic accent. Now, Hollywood loves this way of speaking because it helps unify and sophisticate their actors who came not only from all over the country, but all over the world. And I'm sure it presents Hollywood in like a smarter vein i guess yes. like if that's what yes. they're putting out then people will associate hollywood with i mean that probably added to the glitz and glamour of it to hear these people with these voices and stuff these posh yeah posh accents even like even if they were playing somebody that was destitute yeah i need a penny for my till please yeah. you know I mean, it, everything exactly. sounded nice now when they were taught in these classes about how to all have the same speech what it was really doing was it was saying don't work on your character it's about speaking in this mid-Atlantic way, and the words have to sound a certain way, as opposed to what we know later in acting, which is, what's my emotional motivation for saying these lines? All of that stuff was thrown out the window. Sure. It was, can you just speak in this mid-Atlantic style? Here's Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell from His Gal Friday, which is what Kristen Wiig and Jason Sudeikis were parodying in the SNL clip. I'll listen, Walter. You are no longer my husband and no longer my boss. And you're not going to be my boss. What's that supposed to mean? Just what I say. You mean you're not coming back to work on the paper? All right, Mr. Burns, for the first time today. Uh, uh, got a better offer, huh? You bet I've got a better All offer. All right, go on, take it, work for somebody else. That's the gratitude I get. Oh, I wish you'd What were you when you came here five years ago, a little college... Now, here's something very interesting. Cary Grant is from England, Rosalind Russell is from Connecticut, Jimmy Stewart is from Pennsylvania, and they all sound alike. Here's an actor I absolutely love. His name is Roscoe Lee Brown. And Roscoe Lee Brown was this black character actor. And if you saw him, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen him in, in tons of things, tons of things. He was on The Cosby Show for a long time. Roscoe Lee Brown was born in New Jersey. And I want you to listen to him speak. And he sounds... Just like everyone else we've heard so far. Lieutenant, if I understand correctly, you're trying to get me to confirm your suspicion that Vivian Dimitri may have murdered Charlton Chambers out of revenge. If that were true, and I'm not saying it is, Lieutenant, such an obsession might not end with Chambers. He is, after all, not the man who put her late husband behind bars. You know who I So now, eventually after World War II, teachers stopped teaching pronunciation to their students in favor of other subjects. And also as the middle classes grew, the accent was no longer fashionable. And it kind of made you look like a rich kid snob. So people wanted to get rid of that. Sure. Especially then as the 60s sort of moves forward and this this idea of unity and everyone's the same and you know, class is not really something that we should be acknowledging, that sort of dissipates in that sort of form. 
So you're not being taught it anymore. Therefore, it doesn't make you sound like anybody. But in terms of film, why does it drop out in film? Because in the 1950s, after World War II, movies started to rely more on realism and embracing, not running away from, embracing ethnogeographic individuals. So you got people like Marlon Brando. I could have been a contender. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like? I could have had class. I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. I'll tell you what. Let's give him an offer. He can't refuse. He can't refuse. He can't refuse. I'm so sorry. Let me take that again. But it would have been like, I'm sorry. Let me take that again. Give him an offer. I can't refuse. (laughs) Did you get it? (laughs) And so because the method style of acting started to come into film, the method being that acting should look the same way people behave off camera, it should be reflected on camera. And so because of that, this sort of uh, fancy way of speaking becomes passe. And it's interesting to note that like if you watch movies in the in the early 60s where there are younger actors and you have older actors, it feels bizarre. Sometimes it's used, I think, to really good advantage. Like if you've ever seen Rebel Without a Cause, you know, James Dean is very method and very realistic. And he's playing against Jim Backus, who played Thurston Howell III. Sure. But but it works really well because the voices are in conflict with each each other, which is what the whole movie's about. So it kind of works perfectly there. However, the thing that we know most about the Mid-Atlantic and Transatlantic accent today is when we hear it today, we automatically know what period we're supposed to be in. It's true. You just speak a couple of words and instantaneously the listener says, ah, it's supposed to be the 1930s. It's supposed to be old-timey. And it knows what era it's supposed to evoke. It knows the energy that it's supposed to evoke. And I cannot think of any other form of talking that instantaneously puts you in such a time and place. Yeah, absolutely. Like this transatlantic accent. So in the grand scheme of things, the transatlantic accent was probably around for maybe 60 to 80 years or so. But it's probably going to be one of the most defining sounds we will have for generations to come. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from our break. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Introducing the newest accent in Grand Canyon University's ASMR series, Transatlantic. We have so many options to choose from for your listening pleasure. Things like eating a bag of chips. Oh boy, I can't wait to break into this fine bag of potato chips. What a smell. I love the smell of a fresh bag of room temperature potato chips. Going in. Mmm, so salty. Can't wait to crack into this bag of sour cream and onion. Drinking a soda. Oh boy, I sure do love pop. It makes my belly feel oh so good. Time to drink up. Mmm, so bubbly. Going to bed. Let me just check and make sure there aren't any scary monsters under my bed. Nope, nothing here. Time to get under these sheets. Say, whose hand is on my leg there? Mmm, so friendly. Going to the doctor. A month to live, you say? Oh, boy. Mmm, looks like I need to start doing things a little bit different. Driving a car. Hey, Buster, don't cut me off in your jalopy. What are you, Blotto? I own these roads, see? I'm the Bruno now, so all you butternag men need to cheese it. Going to church. Oh, boy. And then Rumpelstiltskin said to the fairy godmother, Cinderella is a virgin. Amen. Mmm, salty. Buying a gun. 
Oh boy, gun show loopholes are just great. Mmm, no background check for me, you see. Transatlantic, the newest addition to Grand Canyon University's ASMR series. Stay tuned for Frank Caliendo's ASMR Christmas special coming this December. Thank you. This was a sketch. Today, if you hear this voice in movies or television, instantaneously, it tells you these people are from class. They're economically mo- Absolutely. mobile. And it's still with us used in some places today. And I want to cite a couple of those. The first one is the TV show, Frasier. Scientific tests show that when one drinks Dr. Pepper slowly, one can truly relish the 23 flavors. Would that we could savor all our relationships, much as the conductor savors his Corral Nocturna, slowly. Comments, caller? Only one, Fraser. You never savored me slowly. Well, Lilith, I guess I finally found the right icy doctor. So you can hear it on phrase, yeah? Mm. Fraser, are you a Hunger Games fan? Well, guess what? The wonderful Elizabeth Banks as Effie Trinket uses a transatlantic accent. Here she is in the Hunger Games. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Now, before we begin, we have a very special film brought to you all the way from the capital. Favor. Favor. Now, people that are watching The Hunger Games might not have ever even seen a Katherine Hepburn movie or a movie that was made before 2000, and they know automatically, oh, she's supposed to be a rich, fancy lady. Star Wars fan, aren't, aren't you? Yeah. Have you noticed how Darth Vader and Princess Leia talk to each other? Or when Princess Leia speaks, when she has to be in a commanding position? She's a princess from Alderaan, and she learned from Bail Organa, her adopted father, how to speak like that. Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smith. Ah! You Disney fan? Yeah. Pretty much all the villains speak with transatlantic accents. The evil queen, Snow White, and my personal favorite, Cruella de Vil. Time for games. Where are the little brutes? Oh, it'll be at least three weeks. No rushing these things, you know. <laughs> Anita, you're such a wit. Here, dog. Here. Here, dog. Also, Simpsons fan, Mr. Burns. Hmm. And also to show that he's a real actor, Sideshow Bob. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not just the transatlantic uh, relegated to fictional characters. Sometimes our politicians have them as well still. Here is Marianne Williamson. We've got to get deeper than just these superficial fixes, as important as they are. Even if we're just talking about the superficial fixes, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have a health care system in the United States. We have a sickness care system in the United States. We just wait till somebody gets sick, and then we talk about who's going to pay for the treatment and how they're going to be treated. What we need to That's so crazy. I didn't even think about that. So the question is, is uh, can we see any elements of it today? Well... Actually, no, because it's starting to fade out. It seems that every single generation now, ever since movies and television have emerged, have been defined by a specific way of speaking. So you, as a young person, watch movies and watch TV, and you take the way that they're communicating, and then you take that on as your own speech pattern. For example, in the 1980s, not everybody lived in California but everyone spoke valley speak. Sure. 
because they were seeing it in movies, they were seeing it in television, and therefore, through osmosis, they were learning this is now the way that I'm supposed to speak. So movies and television were teaching them this is the proper way of communication. Can you give me, please... Your best valley speak. My name is Catherine Hepburn, and you know I'm an award-winning actress. You know I just like to go out and just do some filming. Just like to just shoot some takes. Notice the nasal quality. Sure. Notice the flatness. Thank you, Sean Penn. Yes. Why? Because it's a television generation, mm-hmm. and a lot of the television stars were living and from California, and that's why they spoke like that in the 80s. Now, the 90s is going to flip a little bit on us, because the 90s is going to be dominated by what we call stoner speak, which is also coming from the grunge movement, which is coming from the indie film movement, which is coming from that sort of rough drug culture. So now, Ray... Can I have a little stoner speak? Uh, what do you mean like that? That's it. Is this rough and gruff? It's that chill, yeah. over-medicated oh, yeah, for sure. type of speaking. Yeah, I do ask like that. All right. Very good. Now, is there one today? Is there a vocal pattern today that people are adopting? And I think, yes, there is. I do too. What is it? Vocal fry? Very good. Vocal fry. Vocal fry is interesting because vocal fry originates specifically in a lot of women in media and a lot of gay men that you see in media. The Bachelor. The Bachelor, right? The person you should probably think of the most, folks, it's been so influential. This is an influencer. Can I guess? Yes. Paris Hilton. Uh, Yes, and? Nicole Richie. Kim Kardashian. Oh, Kim Kardashian, of course, yeah. So today, the, the voice now is naturally very highly placed, and there's always this tone of like, you idiot. Or like passive aggressive. Honestly, it's like I'll never forget when I went to the 1939 Oscar Awards and I just was wearing the same dress as... It comes with this tone of like stupid... Are you serious right now? Exactly. Here is a lovely clip from the Today Show talking about the new speech pattern that are emerging in young women, which is the vocal fry. ...into the conversations of college-age women. They call it glottalization, or vocal fry. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Common in pop culture. Before I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Vocal fry is a low staccato vibration produced by a slow fluttering of the vocal cord. It would sound something like this. Uh... <laughs> he designed it on Photoshop himself. It perplexed me for a long time because vocal fry has traditionally been a symptom of a voice disorder. And yet I was hearing this naturally in normal conversation. After studying dozens of female college students, researchers at CW Post Campus of Long Island University found that approximately two-thirds of this population use vocal fry. Most of the time it was at the end. I will be honest with you, I hear tons of gay men with vocal fry. Well, I hear straight men. I mean, one of the things that Howard Stern does is play clips from Bachelorette and and Bachelor. Oh, the guys have and like, fry. yeah, the guys like, oh, they have like vocal fry, oh, yeah. and they're like, you know, sure. like uh, Amber's like looking really fucking good today. Oh, that's inc- that's incredible. I didn't know you were so talented. It's just um, I've read about someone who taught at Juilliard before. So, uh, Miss Hepburn, do we want to pick up uh, your monologue again? I will be doing Oscar's monologue. From the odd couple. I find little notes on my pillow that say F you. <laughs> it took me three hours to realize F you meant 
Felix Unger. And now is Valley speak? I hate little notes on my pillow. I do. And they say F you. And it took me two hours to realize that F you meant Felix Unger. Stoner? I hate little notes on my pillow. I said F you. And it's two hours it took me to get to realize it was... Felix Unger. And then finally, vocal fry, please. I hate little notes on my pillow and F you. And it's like, took me two hours to realize that F you meant Felix Unger. And a voice pattern that will happen in the future that we're not even aware of now. I hate little notes on my pillow. F you. It made me realize it took two hours to realize it was Felix Unger. (laughs) So... Thanks for that, Ray. My face is so red. So today, while people be like, people don't talk like that anymore, and people sound silly when they talk like that to show off that they're wealthy or educated, we have it actually today. It's just got a different name now. It's just called The Vocal Fry. Just say you're from the Today Show, and she'll give you the whole show. <laughs> I think now it's time for a little game. Oh, boy. This was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz with Mark Schroeder. So transatlantic accents, huh? That sounds like some real hokey, phony stuff. Doesn't sound like nature at all. Can we hear your transatlantic? Well, I'd probably have to say it sounds something like this. So if I was talking in a transatlantic accent, I might say we go for dinner later tonight. Oh, that's great. Very Hepburn. Yeah, I think I just steal mine from Audrey Hepburn. I stole mine from marine propaganda films. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. So transatlantic accents are a little hokey. I think we can all agree. But uh, I want to see what some contemporary relationship drama scripts would sound like if the performers were speaking in transatlantic accents. So what I've done is I've pulled some scripts here, and we'll say the title as we as we pull them out. And just typical, you know, script situation, you're going to play the different characters, I'll cast you. Okay. We're going to start off with the movie uh, Marriage Story. So Marriage Story. Yeah, this is, this is a cold read. It's a cold read, yeah, you're just going right in. Let's do, uh, Ray, you be Charlie. Uh, Rob, you be Nicole. And we're just going to do some transatlantic accents and uh, take it away whenever you're ready. Oh, shit, okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. We you had a child's marriage. You've gone back to your life. Before you met me, it's pathetic. People used to say to me that you were too selfish to be a great artist. I used to defend you, but they're absolutely right. You gaslighted me. You're a fucking villain. You're being a hack. You want to present yourself as a victim because it's a good legal strategy. Fine. But you and I both know you chose this life. You wanted it until you didn't. You used me, and so you could get out of L.A. I didn't use you! You did, and then you blamed me for it. You always made me aware of what I was doing wrong, how I was falling short. Uh, Life with you was joyless. So you had to fuck someone else? How could you? You shouldn't be upset that I fucked her. You should be upset that I laughed with her. Do you love her? Uh, no, but she did hate me. But she did hate me. You hated me. You hated me? You fucked someone we worked with. You stopped having sex with me in the last year. I never cheated on you. That was cheating on me. But there's so much I could have done. I was a director in my 20s who came from nothing. I was suddenly on the cover of fucking Time Out New York. I I was hot shit. I wanted to fuck everybody and I didn't. I loved you and I didn't want to lose you. And I'm in my 20s and I didn't want to lose that too. I wanted so much so fast. I didn't even want to get married and fuck it. There's so much I didn't do. Well, thanks for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's a good one. I th- I think that would have they would have won Oscars. Adam Driver definitely would have gotten a little bit more recognition than he got. <laughs> I think so. Why don't we switch over to Blue Valentine? This was uh, let's see, this was Michelle Williams and 
Ryan Gosling, I believe. This was another- Contemporary. Same thing. Why don't we do a little gender reversal, Rob? Why don't you be Dean? Sure. Ray, why don't you be Cindy this sure. time? And uh, just, just a little, can I get a little background on, on what's going on so I, I know how to start? No. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it's not just us. We got a little girl we got to think about. I know, and I'm thinking about her. I can't do this anymore. Maybe you're just thinking about yourself. What about Frankie? You want to grow up in a broken home? Is that what you want? Hold on, please. Is Frankie going to be played by Shirley Temple? Yes, you will. Oh, God. I am thinking about Frankie. You're not thinking about Frankie. I am. Get out. This is how you want to grow up? I don't want to grow up in a home where her parents treat each other like this. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Don't. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, baby, I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. This is some of the greatest stuff that S.J. Perlman ever wrote. <laughs> oh, I got two more here. more monologues. Let's do, Rob, why don't you do Dirty Dancing? I'm going to, okay, great. Uh, I told you I was telling the truth, Daddy. I'm sorry I lied to you, but you lied too. You told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break, but you meant everyone who was like you. You told me you wanted me to change the world, make it better, but you meant by becoming a lawyer, an economist, and marrying someone from Harvard. I'm not proud of myself, but I'm in this family too, and you can't keep giving me the silent treatment. There are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought, but if you love me, you have to love all the things about me, and I love you, and I'm sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry, Daddy, but you let me down too. Damn. Wow. There's some heat there. We got one more script for Ray. We're going to do, <laughs> this is Pulp Fiction. what you're doing. A little monologue from Pulp Fiction. Whenever you're ready, feel free. Hello, little man. Boy, I sure heard a bunch about you. See, I was a good friend of your dad's. We were there. We were in an annoyed pit of hell together over five years. Hopefully, you'll never have to experience this yourself, but when two men are in a situation like me and your dad were, uh, for as long as we were, you take a certain responsibilities on the other. If it had been me who'd been who'd made it, Major Coolidge would be talking right now to, to my son Jim. But the way it turned out is I'm talking to you, Butch. I got you something. This watch I got here was a first purchase by your grandfather during the First World War. It was bought in a little general store in Knoxville, Tennessee, made by the first company to ever make wristwatches. Up till then, people just carried pocket watches. <laughs> this watch. This watch was on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down over Hanoi. He was captured, put in the Vietnamese prison camp. He knew if the... G-Words ever saw the watch, it'd be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, that watch was your birthright. So he hid it in the one place he knew he could hide something. His ass! Five long years he wore this watch up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He gave me this watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. I love this script to Moana. <laughs> that most of that sounded like real newsreel footage of like he's been shot down of, <laughs> going in to see oh my god that was impressive and uh sorry for it being <laughs> was, two pages I, I was so excited to get to the up my ass part it should have just been the up my ass part no no it's but fine hearing was, the specifics it was of, those, of the war is fun it's one of those things i was like oh this build is good yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you guys both did a excellent job with your transatlantic accent. i think we can agree all these movies would be a little bit better with absolutely i mean i would hope the transatlantic accent would make a return to film and television i mean some of the things that are coming out now could really use it i take any marvel movie with a transatlantic accent maybe wolverine when the new when x-men come out yes please i want I'm a canadian badass see <laughs> yeah. look at all the hand on my chest what do you mean it was agatha all along one division on the dupont network <laughs> dupont plus dupont dupont plus <laughs> dupont plus <laughs> Tune in to RKO Plus <laughs> for WandaVision with the great Gene Harlow as Wanda <laughs> and as Agatha, Margaret Hamilton. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Mark. Thank uh, you, Mark. Folks, if you have any good transatlantic stories, hit us up or send us a video doing your best transatlantic accent. And if you think a movie could benefit from a transatlantic accent, we want to hear it. Have a good one. Chip, chip. Bye bye. Ha ha. Toodaloo.
Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 